Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 26 minutes now to 9 the time. Time for your Mediated Conversation this Tuesday morning. Good morning. Over the last few days, the weather in many parts of the country has changed just so dramatically. Last week, there was an intense heat wave. In Gauteng, to the point on Friday, temperatures in Joburg rose to at least 35 degrees Celsius. Then from Saturday evening and through Sunday, they plunged dramatically to the point where the maximum temperature in the same place yesterday was 12 degrees. Today, the forecast high in Joburg is just 7 degrees. At the same time, the intense, clear, hot weather has been replaced by low-hanging cra- low hanging cloud. And at one point yesterday, some hail. Meanwhile, around the world, there's more evidence of incredibly variable weather. In the Northern Hemisphere, during their summer this year, the weather was incredibly hot, and that led to really intense forest fires. So then, what's happening with our weather patterns, and could this kind of variable weather be what we should expect? First, this morning, what's been happening with the weather, and what systems are driving this? Azri Tuwani is a meteorologist here at SABC for SABC News. Then what does this mean for the next few months? What are the forecasts for the summer period? Kubis Ulefjord is a scientist at the South African Weather Service. And finally, what it all means for the future. Brandon Abdinor is the acting head for pollution and cli- of the Pollution and Climate Change Program at the Centre for Environmental Rights. We start then with the SABC News meteorologist Azri Tawani. Azri, good morning. Good morning and good morning to your listeners. On Friday in Joburg, it was 35 degrees Celsius. On Monday, the highest was just 12. Today, the forecast high is just 7. What on earth is going on? (laughs) Yeah, well, the the weather has changed um, uh, due to the fact that we have a different system that has moved in. It has brought us rainfall and uh, a lot of cold air. So this is what we call a cut of low. And with that... Um, We do expect lots of rainfall and, again, possibilities of flooding with severe thunderstorms, as we have seen over the weekend with the warnings that have been issued. So, yeah, this is is what you can expect with this kind of a system. It can bring lots of rainfall um, for South Africa. I call it a good irrigation system for, for South Africa. So this is what we have received. And at this time, it was a bit stronger. That's why we're also getting lots of cold conditions with possibilities of snow that we have also recorded as well. When you say a cutoff low, was it a cutoff low that was involved in the flooding in KZN last year? Yes, it can be intense. And it can even be way stronger than this one in terms of uh, bringing lots and lots of rainfall. So if I've understood this correctly, you've got a lot of hot air, which rises, and then the cutoff low is what happens underneath. Is that right? The cold air comes in underneath that? Um, that, that is what happens in a thunderstorm. Um, a hot air will rise and then cold air will uh, descend. So a, a cutoff low, it induces, it's a low pressure system uh, that can be associated with the cold front as well. So it induces um, such conditions of rising air and dropping of cold air, where there will be a lot of buildup of um, huge clouds and conditions for thunderstorms going to severe thunderstorms. And this was over a big part of the country. I mean, Uppington last week, if I remember from a weather forecast, I think was 44 or something, is now not even 30. I mean, if Uppington's below 30 at this time of year, you know it's cold. Yeah, it it is uh, extremely cold. This is uh, one of the difference that this um, recent cut of flow has brought to to South Africa. But then again, um, I do remember maybe um, not so long ago, we've also received snowfall 
uh, around December in the interior of South Africa. So such a thing, it is possible. You can um, get snow at any time. Uh, but now um, we can also look at other um, effects to like, okay, what really caused this one to be so severe? Why has it become so cold and affected most parts of South Africa? We can do a little study to check if climate change has played um, a role in this one. But by just looking at it and also remembering um, some of the uh, cut of lows and cold fronts that have happened during um, summertime and brought snow as well, we can't really say um, just on top of the head that this has been due to, to climate change. We need to do a study first because it is happening right now. So the study will happen. We can talk to those scientists and then find out if this was um, exacerbated by climate change. The thing that amazed me, frankly, was how quickly the temperature dropped. Is that unusual? It happens so fast on Saturday night, Sunday morning. Yeah, um, that, that, that one, can, we can say it is in a point of being a bit unusual. It's not what we normally used to, um, because temperatures would take time, sometimes maybe a few cold fronts, for them to drop to reach um, such levels of 10 degrees, 11 degree maximum over the interior. And also looking at the season that this is summer. So this is what can really push us to look at it and say, did climate change play a role? Just to see that um, uh, this is uh, a bit unusual for it to happen because for temperatures to drop significantly, it's not it's usually not one cold front, but it has to be a few and you will see the temperatures dropping gradually for them to reach this point. And this time of year, you made the point that sometimes there's been snow in the interior of the country in December, and I think I remember that. But, I mean, it is literally the day before November, and the maximum temperature in Johannesburg is 7. That's, it may have happened before, but it's still incredibly unusual for it to be so late in the year. That That is very true. I do agree with you on that one. And um, today's maximum is still going to be a bit above um, or close to 10. Um, in Johannesburg. So that is what we are expecting. For now, it's still in the morning. That's why we are sitting at 7. So the temperatures will warm up um, to about 10 degrees 11. So that is what we are expecting. But yes, you, um, it is a lot unusual to, to see it being this strong. It can bring lots of rainfall for most uh, times. But this time it has dropped temperatures way significantly. This is why I'm really looking at it to say, okay, what is happening? Is this one of those that have been affected by climate change or by definition? Is it still in the brackets of normal um, weather? But by the experience and knowing the country and knowing the kind of weather that we receive in this season, on top of our head, we can say it is um, unusual. But we will need to wait for the science so that we can be clearly correct to say, well, climate change has really affected. Azri Tuwani, thank you very much indeed. Really do appreciate the time. Azri, as you know, is a meteorologist at SABC News. You were there, SFM, 18 minutes to nine. Continue your mediated conversation this morning around the incredibly strange weather. Kubus Ulafir is a scientist at the South African Weather Services. Kubus, good morning. Morning. When something like this happens, does it have a longer-term impact? I mean, can we look at these strange events and think, oh, this means uh, certain things are going to happen over the next few weeks, or is it just a quick thing and then by me- next Monday it's just done? 
it's pretty much a quick thing. So in with regards to seasonal, you you really expect the influences to come from the surrounding oceans, things like even El Nino, which I'm sure I'll talk about. But those the, the seasonal drivers are the surrounding oceans and not really the little or the small smaller events around uh, the local weather systems that affect the rest of the summer. So this is pretty much with regards to seasonal influence, pretty, pretty much just one thing that will eventually we'll get back to the warmer, <laughs> probably heat wave uh, conditions. Um, wouldn't this cold front have come from the ocean itself, though? Yeah, so the influence, uh, the, the smaller weather influences are from the oceans that drive it, but that doesn't, again, now in turn drive uh, the oceans themselves. So the, the, the effects stop at the, the smaller, like the cutoff low occurring that comes from the surrounding oceans, but that doesn't, again, now have a feedback effect mm. to drive the uh, season forward. So everything pretty much comes from the outside and drives the weather, uh, again, from a seasonal perspective. Okay, the forecast for the, I think I understand it now, but I, I, I reserve the right to come back for more questions. No worries. <laughs> the forecast for the next few months, what kind of sort of summer are we expecting across the country? So obviously the, the, the way we forecast for the season is a bit different than we get for you know, short-term forecasts where we specifically forecast like this event, uh, particularly. So what we forecast is the general total rainfall that we expect for the next couple of months. So... Currently, there's there's some confusion or some confusion with the models and the, the forecast because of the El Nino ongoing. So the current indication, at least for the summer rainfall areas for the northeast, is for above normal rainfall. Now this is quite unusual because we have we are currently in an El Nino season, um, and usually in El Nino season you expect warmer and drier conditions. So there's quite a bit of um, mixed bag forecast from the global forecasting systems, uh, some indicating above normal and some indicating just un uncertainty. They don't really know which direction is going to go. So there's, there's quite a bit of uncertainty with regards to the forecasts, especially um, now that there is an El Nino season where we expect something specific that dry and warm um, conditions, but uh, the forecasts are saying quite something different. So... There's a bit of confusion, but the current the current situation is uh, we are predicting above normal rainfall for the northeast. However, that can very drastically change as the oceans uh, could have a bit of more of effect that we expect. And um, does that mean then, for example, um, the north of the country, a lot of maize is grown there. They could expect higher than usual rain. What does it mean for places like KZN or the Western Cape? Normally, the Western Cape would expect to be quite dry. KZN can be wet as well. Yeah, so KwaZulu-Natal is more of a spring system, so that you'll see uh, most of the weather now uh, for for rainfall. But they also have quite significant uh, summer rainfall um, over those areas, and we do expect them to also have above normal rainfall for the southwest. As you said, it's now really going out of the um, rainfall season, so the the rainfall should be should not be as significant as it was obviously in winter, but there can definitely be um, one one or two cases where there can definitely be rainfall, and we've seen it before in summer in the southwest, in the Western Cape, but that's not very usual. It's not, on average, there shouldn't be uh, significant rain in those areas during summer. 
We've heard um, from you and we've heard before actually from someone in your field who who's spoken about the difficulties in the forecast for this season, the longer term forecast. And as I understand it, um, you use supercomputers basically to create mathematical models that then you put all the information in, starting with, I suppose, the temperature of the Pacific yeah. at certain times, which predicts El Nino and all the rest. Um, why yeah. are the models so difficult this year? Is there information? Is there information that seems to contradict itself? In other words, you would normally expect these factors to move in a certain way, and now the factors are coming up with different results. Yeah, so typically, the the models that we do use are very they're very um, sensitive to what happens in the Pacific Ocean. So for the Pacific Ocean or the El Nino that is occurring currently, for that to affect us, it needs to go through quite a complex system of to the upper atmosphere, going across from the Pacific, coming to our side, uh, dropping down air, um, usually drops down a subsidence air, which causes the drier conditions of our area. So you need that whole complex system to actually occur and the models to actually capture that to signal whether it's dry or not. And what we're seeing now is seemingly this complex system is not uh, yet finalized. It's still seemingly in the process of occurring. So areas around the Pacific may already have its uh, El Nino influence because they are right there. They don't need a very complex system for the influence to actually reach us reach us um, in our case now it seems like that system is not yet in place for it to affect us or for the models at least to show um, a very high probability of below normal rainfall so i think that's what's currently occurring is some models are picking uh, picking up that this that system is going to occur in the next couple of months some models are just not uh, predicting that to occur so it's a it's a very complex system that has to occur for us to actually feel the influence of the typical El Nino effects, which, again, some models are predicting and some models aren't. If there is climate change and if the world is slightly hotter, there's more heat in the atmosphere and more energy, and I, I think also more water vapor as a result, is that going to make your job of weather forecasting and particularly sort of longer-range weather forecasting or longer-term weather forecasting more difficult? It can. The, the, the biggest issue for us in long-range forecasting with regards to climate change is I mean, typically what we see now is that the warmer temperatures, we are constantly forecasting warmer temperatures. And the reason for that is because seasonal forecasting, we use historical forecasts for the last, say, 30 years to give us a, a normal uh, weather, which we then, from there on, we produce above normal, below normal forecast. Now, that normal shifts quite, uh, quite quickly. So in the case of the temperature forecast now is because of the, the higher temperatures, we are constantly forecasting above normal um, temperatures, which doesn't really help much for the, for the um, planning, uh, for planning purposes. So that, that does create a, big of a, a bit of a problem for us with regards to climate change and how do we actually communicate what is going to happen in next, cup, next season with regards to is it going to be more than you expect and uh, typically with the um, the seasonal forecasts, you know, it's it's very important not to always predict a certain above normal and it doesn't give you any indication of planning forward. And very quickly, we're not expecting a repeat of the incredibly heavy rain we've had for the last three seasons. 
I mean, <laughs> at this stage, pretty much anything is possible. So it's, we, we're not sure. It, it Typically, you would say it's unlikely because of the El Nino, and we still expect the El Nino to have its usual effect at some point in summer. We just we just don't know when it's going to occur, and we don't necessarily know whether it's going to have its usual effect. So at this stage, it's a bit uncertain to say that it's definitely not going to be. It is unlikely because there is an El Nino effect. I appreciate the honesty. Anything could happen. Thank you very much indeed, scientists at the South African Weather Services. In a moment, you'll speak to Brandon Abdinor from the Centre for Environmental Rights. It's nine minutes to nine. Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Eight minutes to nine, the time continue your mediated conversation around the incredibly strange weather we've had in the last little while. Brandon Abdinor is the acting head for pollution and at the Pollution and Climate Change Programme at the Centre for Environmental Rights. Brandon, good morning. Good morning, Stephen, Asri, Kribis, and the listeners. It's probably too early to say this latest cold snap is due to climate change, but it does remind us of how important weather is and how variable it could be. And if we have higher temperatures, a higher global temperature, we could have more variable weather like we've seen in the last few days. Absolutely. And I mean, this is basically what the the IPCC or the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has been telling us in in very broad terms for a long time. And when I say they tell us, um, the reports that they put together are synthesis of of up to tens of thousands of scientific papers from around the world. I think the two things that struck me in the conversation so far, as we spoke about um, doing a study to make, you know, ascertain how much climate change um, played a role in this recent in this recent um, spate of strange weather, and I think that's critically important. Um, I think I think that to have accurate information on what's going on is essential for for proper climate governance. Um, we do need to steer away from a kind of hysterical shouting about climate change that that everything that's happening is as a result of that. But at the same time, the severity of, of climate change and global warming really actually can't be overstated. The Climate Change Bill references the best available science. That's how it's worded in there. And I think we need to hold on to that as being a guiding principle for our climate response. Um, we tend to find that climate response becomes a political football and vested interests get involved and there are arguments about energy choices and that sort of thing. But if we keep referencing the best available science um, that should hopefully guide us to to being sound and sane in terms of our responses. And then Kerber spoke about pretty much anything is possible. And I think that is something we need to accept as a reality. And and that's why it's so important that, that climate governance in terms of adaptation is the best that it can be. So that we are mapping our risks and, and vulnerabilities as solidly as possible. And then putting climate response plans in that really speak to those risks. Um, one of the things that I found um, during, you know, how hot it was late last week in Joburg was that was life in Joburg uh, during a bad heat wave, an intense heat wave. Um, but we could have many more days like that more regularly and maybe slightly warmer as well. I mean, it's a sort of taste. I'm not saying it was caused by climate change. It sort of was. But, but what I'm saying is that's a taste of what life would be like, how bad it would be, how tough it would be to actually do things. Absolutely. And again, this is what the IPCC and the scientific community are are telling us quite incontrovertibly. We can't say exactly what is going to happen on which day, but but the global average temperature is warming. Um, And this is why the the need for mitigation. So it's our activities that have started breaking the system, to put it like that. 
um, and we need to curtail those activities. We, we know from, I think it was the, the sixth assessment report on, on vulnerability, um, a study was done in there that, that says that the temperatures inside a shack in an informal settlement are up to seven degrees higher than what's going on outside. We know that, that um, much of the labor force in the country needs to work outside, in the agricultural sector, for example. And um, never mind the sort of loss of, of life and limb that can come with that. Can you imagine what this can do to our overall socioeconomic well-being? Hmm. Um, we're going to see the COP28 conference in Dubai at the end of November. What measures do you think need to be passed there by leaders from around the world? And I, I realize that having it in Dubai is a curious choice at the beginning. Indeed, and the COP president is in fact the CEO of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. So, um, I mean, there's, there's so many layers to this, but I'd say the two key elements is we need to keep pushing this mitigation. So there's been a lot of kicking the football around and on, on wording in terms of phasing out fossil fuels and, and the, the leaders at the political levels continue avoiding to do that. So the, the strongest we've seen is talking about the phase down of unabated coal. And what we're actually aiming for is the phase out of all fossil fuels. So that, that fight needs to happen and gosh, it doesn't always look very promising. And the other thing is we know that no matter how well we mitigate, some of these impacts are locked in. So we need to adapt. Um, and it so happens that much of the developing world is mostly at, is, is most at risk. Um, and the developed world, which for a number of reasons, including the fact that they have a, a long history of heavy emissions and have built their economies partially on that, um, have the money, technically speaking, to to assist with this adaptation. So we need to start seeing adaptation funding going through from where it is to where it's needed. Um, do you get a sense that the mindset has changed? We've had, you referred to the climate change bill going through parliament. Do you get a sense that um, there is any kind of shift? I mean, I was amazed in, in New York City uh, earlier this year um, because of higher temperatures, because of the massive forest fires that that created in Canada. There was a huge amount of smog. People couldn't go outside. And I don't know if, you know, after an incident like that is over, people just go back to normal. I think there's a shift. I mean, I've been tracking this issue for about 20 years. And in the early days, I felt like I was one of the few lone voices speaking about it. Um, so I think more and more, quote unquote, ordinary people are starting to understand it, either because they are actually experiencing some of the impacts or because they just have their eyes and ears open. And that creates a kind of popular awareness of the issue and starts to create uh, the possibility for pressure, pressure on elected leaders to take the, the right steps, um, as well as pressure on those commercial interests that are actually causing the problem through, through heavy emissions. So I think it is starting to change. I think there are many role players within government that really understand that. And a lot of that will be at local government for level, for example. I mean, that is where the rubber meets the road in terms of adaptation. That's where floods happen. They happen in the local municipality. Um, but then we're also seeing a sort of scramble for fossil fuels and gas and new exploration. So we're really sitting with two camps. Um, and the one is, is starting to grow and understand the issue, and the other one is carrying on like it's business as usual. Brandon Abdinor, thank you, Acting Head for the Pollution and Climate Change Program at the Centre for Environmental Rights. My thanks also to Kubis Ulafir, a scientist at the South African Weather Service, and starting us off today, Azri Tawani, a meteorologist at SABC News. Well, the strange weather that we've been having.